Well, blessings. Good to see everybody here today. And uh, um, you may notice uh, some changes around here. We have a huge uh, youth group here from Raul Reese's church, Diamond Bar, uh, uh, Calvary Chapel. And uh, Pastor Raul, you know, his son has been here many times speaking, Ryan Reese. Well, the youth pastor is here. And so, uh, Scott, I want to embarrass you. So why don't you come up here, Salamat, and uh, he's been a missionary. And um, if you, when you go outside and you look over by the trees out by uh, Falls Avenue, you'll notice how clean and wonderful that looked. These guys worked out there in the heat yesterday, cleaning all that up. Pile of brush, probably five foot tall and 30 foot long. It's all got to be done away with now. But they cleaned all that out. They've been helping. They've been down in the park sharing Jesus with people and all the different things that God has used them for. And they're, uh, um, how many weeks have you been on the road? Almost two weeks. And so they included us to be part of what they were doing. And I'm very grateful to uh, Ralph Reese's fellowship for allowing them to come up here and be part of what we're doing. And so uh, come up, Scott, and just share with us a few minutes about what's going on, how you've been a missionary in Central and South America. Well, all right. Thank you, Pastor Mike. It's a blessing to be here with you guys. Um, again, this is our, uh, our, tomorrow will be our 11th day. Um, that we've been here. We came here on the 7th and, uh, or in the evening time and we went up to, uh, uh, Twin Falls. I'm sorry, uh, Idaho Falls. And then we went to Blackfoot and then we went to Pocatello and then we went to Boise and now we're here. And so we've been the traveling Wilburys for the past two weeks and it's been really cool, um, letting my youth group, uh, kind of see, uh, the state of Idaho and Utah. And, um, it's been really cool. Um, this is an interesting time I was sharing with Mike. Um, my youth group, um, we do missions trips every year. And our mission trips are usually international. We go to third world countries. We sleep in the jungle. We go out to the Amazons and stuff like that. And so for the past couple of years with COVID, as you know, traveling was kind of restricted. And so um, I saw the toll that it was kind of making on our youth group. You know, when, when you can't get together with people, when you can't have fellowship... It really affects them on, on a spiritual level as well as a mental and emotional level. And um, we just needed to get out. So we started praying uh, where the Lord would have us to go. We were stuck between a rock and a hard place, literally. We couldn't really travel on the plains without uh, a lot of uh, difficulties getting shots and all that stuff. We didn't want to deal with that. So we started praying, okay, Lord, where do you want to take us? Well, the Bible says that you'll be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts. We've done the Judea, the Samaria, and the outermost parts. And God was like, hey, I want you, I want you to come to the United States and do something. All right, cool. Never done that before. So we were going to go to the Indian reservations in New Mexico. And the Lord kind of closed the door with that. And then everybody I started talking to and everything that kept coming up was Idaho, Idaho, Idaho. I'm like, okay, I think I'm supposed to go to Idaho. So here we are. Uh, I came out here about four years ago, but uh, I was mostly in the north uh, east up there. I went from Boise all the way up to Coeur d'Alene and up there and Horseshoe Bend in that area and really loved it. Never got to see this part of uh, Idaho, and it was a blessing. You know, we have been able to do, like you said, we got to be able to do some community service, helping every church that we've gone to, we've been able to do something at their church, like uh, one of the other churches, we did all their shrubs and their bushes and cleaned up the front of their church and everything. And we stayed in their youth group. And then here, it's like, we don't like to stay for free. You know what I'm saying? We have to earn your keep. 
trying to teach my kids that too. And I think this is probably the first time that some of them have actually ever done hard labor in their life. I saw a couple of them sweat. They've slept better than they've ever slept before. Uh, we had somebody came up to some farmers. Um, they're a farming company for one of the other churches. And they said, we're going to teach you city slickers a little bit thing about work. And me and my buddy out there, we looked at him and just go, okay, cool. This guy thinks he's going to work us, right? We work construction. We know how to do this. We worked 400 bales of hay with those kids. It would have taken them four weeks, right? Guess how long it took us to move 400 bales of hay with all those kids? 45 minutes. We saw the value in, and bear with me here, we come from Southern California, the People's Republic of California. It's not an agricultural um, society like it once was. Um, this family that we went to serve, uh, the 400 bales of hay, is what they need for one year to survive. They feed their horses, their three cows, their three pigs, and a bunch of goats on those 400 bales of hay. Without that hay, that family of 10, basically it's 12, can't survive. And it showed us like, you know, everyone's complaining about the price of food and this and that. This is the labor, literally from the ground to the mouth. They cut down, they grow the hay, they cut down the hay, they bale the hay, they feed the animals, they eat from the animals, and that's how this family lives. And it gives a completely different respect of going to Chick-fil-A and buying a bucket of chicken. It was totally different. You know, it shows you the work that is involved in these people's lives and these hardworking people's lives to just put food on the table for the family. It was a blessing for us to be able to be a part of that. I will share one last story, and this is kind of like one of my favorite. Um, there were so many stories of people that we just ran into uh, and that we prayed for, and people ended up getting saved in the parks and different places. This one particular one really uh, is cool. Um, my buddy Dave, he's out in the foyer talking with uh, Travis, but... Um, there was a, we went to one particular park um, in Boise and there was this gentleman there just sitting there and he had his shirt off and tattoos all over and he was drinking a bottle of Bacardi and he wasn't having a good day. As a matter of fact, when we walked up to him, he, you know, he wasn't having it. And uh, when, when he shared, he's like, who are you guys and where are you from? When he told him what we did, he just broke down. This guy had been praying for two weeks. Him and his girlfriend whom he lives with, um, she's a backslidden Christian. And this guy's a drug seller. He sells drugs. And that's what he does. He makes about 10000 a month, you know, doing part-time drug sales. Not just enough to get him through and uh, not enough to get him busted. 10000 is a lot of money. I don't know about you guys. but he, um, So he's listening to my buddies, talking to him for three, four hours, sharing with him. And he was praying for the last two weeks and somebody would talk to him because his girlfriend, who he lives with, is pregnant. And she was scheduled the next morning to have an abortion at 9 a.m. We met with him on the night before. We prayed for him, um, encouraged him. Dave really poured into him and stuff. We were just sharing with him what God put on our hearts. And then he, we exchanged phone numbers, and he was going to go home that night and tell her, you know, not to do this. Don't, don't kill the baby. And then um, my buddy Dave got a, a call um, the next morning that she didn't go through with it, and they were going to work everything out, and they kept the baby. And so me, that was divine. That was divine. Who goes to public parks and shares with anybody anymore? And here it is, divine, like the woman at the well, just divine appointments that God had. And we prayed this before the trip, like, Lord, everywhere we go, just put us and prepare those people's hearts that we're going to get a chance to talk to, and they're going to get a chance to talk to us, and help us to rub off on them, and help us to serve them. We're not, we're not coming up here to be served. 
You know, we come up here to serve just like Jesus. That's what he calls us to do, to wash people's feet and to love people. And that's what we've been trying to do. And I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the group that, that God, God gave us. It's been an interesting group, a, a lot of um, stretching, a lot of changes have gone on in their lives, a lot of transformations, and a lot of challenges that they're going to face when they get home. Now, how to put this walk that we talk about, how to put this into practice when we get home. And that's why we do this. We pour into the lives of these young people so that when we let them go, you know, when we release them, they'll walk with Christ. They'll, they'll, they'll have gotten the foundation, they've gotten the basics, and they can go out and serve their, serve their communities and serve their families. And that's why we're here, and I'm, I'm blessed for Mike to putting us up and, and blessing us with a place to stay in a beautiful fellowship with you guys. And it was our joy to, to cut those trees. It was really fun. We had a good time. It was hot, yes, but it was a blessing. So thank you, Mike, for having us. Thank you. This also marks the 40th anniversary of the Calvary Chapel River Christian Fellowship uh, uh, River Trip Truck Barbecue that we had 40 years ago this week. We had a group of youth group, and we were all going to go up to Anderson Ranch Dam. And we had a couple boats. We had a covered truck with dooleys, and we were on our way up, and there was about 40 of us. Now, a couple of people from the church decided to come along, and a couple of the elderly ladies came up. And of course, as most elderly ladies do, they overpack for everything. Well, as we go, the inside dually of the truck goes flat, gets overheated, catches on fire. Then it catches the truck on fire, which has two 55-gallon drums of boat gas for the week. Well, we had our own personal Rambo. When that thing blew up on Highway 20 outside of Fairfield, you could see that cloud of smoke go up about about probably 25 miles away. It burnt. And so we got done. We pulled off to the ramp to go up to Anderson Ranch Dam. And I looked at everybody. We got together and we prayed. And I said, well, Lord, the food's gone. The boat gas is gone. Almost all of our clothes are gone. And I looked at everybody. We prayed and I said, okay, what do we want to do? Do you want to go and go on up maybe even for a day? Or do you want to just turn around and go back home since we lost everything? And I said, we can walk out in faith or we can just go back. And they go, let's go skiing. We go up there and we realize as the evening is drawing near, we have no blankets, no tents, no, no, well, we had, we had a tent because some of the stuff was in my boat, but we, the poles were in the, in the truck that burned up. So anyway, no one has any clothes. It gets cool up there in the evening. And so I remember this lady, dear saint, she overpacked her car and in her car she had enough socks to last the month. Well, now all of a sudden as we go through, I looked at everybody and said, look, if we share, we can stay. If we don't share, we got to go home tonight. And so, she, so Faye breaks out of her suitcase all of her socks. And, you know, it was really weird because everybody knew how, how precarious this was. And as we walked away, I remember as she was giving her stuff out, I, I listened to a couple of high school guys. Some of you guys will relate with this. They go, socks, I got socks. 
it wasn't that it was Gucci or I got a new cell phone. I got socks. And we didn't have any poles, so we used a ski rope to hold the tent up between two trees. We look like F Troop. And we were all there. But you know, it was one of the best trips I ever been on. And I remember how important it was to learn to share. Because together we made it. Pretty soon, uh, I would, uh, uh, the sheriff comes by and he says, are you the group that got burned up today on the road? And I said, yeah. And he says, well, I thought you might be interested. I, I had a whole bunch of blankets uh, at the, at the uh, police station and I thought you guys might want to use them. And he opens up the back of his patrol truck and here's enough blankets for everybody. And I just watched God provide all week long. And it was one of, I think, one of the best trips. And I still have people that were part of the truck barbecue call me and tell me what an impression that made in their life. Something that would have been a total disaster, God turned it around for his good. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to talk about life in the Spirit. When we look at the book of Acts, we know it's all based upon Jesus Christ. We, we know that for sure. But something else we need to understand, and the real key of the book of Acts, is the power of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. Acts chapter 1, Jesus said, I will give you power to become witnesses. Now, we've been over this before, but the word power in the Greek means the word dunamos. It's where we get the word dynamo or generator. And Jesus said, I'm going to give you power, this generator, to become witnesses. The word in the Greek for witnesses is the word, the base word is the word martyrs, to become a martyr. I'm going to give you power to become martyrs for me. Now, again, we don't usually like to think about discomfort in Christianity. But when we really look at the entirety of the Bible, we realize that most of the people who stood for God needed supernatural strength to stand against a world going to hell. (laughs) And so this is why we're here. Now, I know a lot of times we say, well, God, why aren't we all in heaven right now? Well, you know, I like that, but you know what? You are the point of contact for a lost and dying world. All the way through the Bible, you will find points of contact. For Pharaoh, as Moses stood before him, saying, let my people go, Moses was the point of contact for Pharaoh to know that there is a God, and Pharaoh, you're not him. All the way through the Bible, you'll find a small thing that somehow becomes and brings reality of who Jesus Christ is into an individual's life. When you stop to think about the world, the garbly goop that's out there, the religions of the world, all mixed in with modernism, uh, the, the religions of the day, what sets Christianity apart is a true and living Savior. But how does that become real? I believe it's through his followers, filled with the Holy Spirit, with a message unto death. Now, if you have your Bibles again, the book of Acts... Chapter 5, we're going to continue where we left off last week. Now, again, as we understand the Holy Spirit and people, it's so weird because I, some of you grew up in the bars. I grew up in church. I bet you my stories are weirder than yours 
Because I remember going to oftentimes Pentecostal churches that were supposed to supposedly operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. But what it really was was crazy time. You'd have people running up and down the stage. You'd have people swinging on chandeliers. Well, maybe not literally, but they wanted to. They couldn't reach them. I remember there was a guy in the church named, named Timmy. He was really big. He weighed like 300 pounds. See, they called him Tiny Tim. Um, you know, and you got a guy up in front smacking people in the head. And Timmy hits the one row of pews and then knocks the next row of pews over. And it was like dominoes. And people go, wow, the Holy Spirit moved. No, I think something else was moving. But I don't think it was God. And you know, you, me, we don't like to be blamed for things we don't do. Don't you remember that when you were a kid? Your mom would say, why did you leave the lawn on in the yard? It got inside the car because the window was down. I didn't do it. My sister did it. We don't want to be blamed for what we don't do. Let me tell you something. I believe it's the same way it is for the Holy Spirit. I don't think the Holy Spirit likes to be blamed for swinging on chandeliers, you know, rolling on the floor, holy howling, and all the other crazy stuff that oftentimes is attributed and said God did this when, in fact, God did not do that. It's people operating in the flesh. But what does then God do? I think that's really important because if we don't understand what God does... If you don't handle the real, if you don't know what the genuine is, you can believe the lie, the counterfeit, the fake, is that's really what the Holy Spirit does. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We ask you now, you anoint your word. It becomes real, alive in us, and God, it changes us and causes us to remember who we are and why we're here until the day you take us home. Father, now bless these words. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 5, verse 12. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all in one accord in Solomon's porch, there at the temple. And none of them yet, and the rest did not dare join them, but the people esteemed them highly. Why was that? Well, because again, you got to remember, to truly follow Christ... There is this tremendous blessing, a reason to live for, a self you can live with, a faith to live by. But there's also, you're a live fish going against a river going down the wrong way. And so it says that people admired them, but they didn't necessarily quickly want to join them. Now, what is required for that to change? I believe, again, the reality of Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory. They can't see Jesus in the world today, but they can see you. And I believe that's really an important part of true Christianity. Do we truly reflect who Jesus Christ is in our words, our language, the way we handle ourselves, our behavior, our benevolence, all these things, I believe, are so important. Now he says, And the believers were increased added to, by the Lord 
uh, added to the Lord multitudes, both men and women. Now, this is where we kind of left off last week. We'll pick this up and then we'll get through this chapter. And so that they brought the sick out of the street, out to the streets, laid hands on them on the beds and the couches, and at least that the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also, multitudes gather from surrounding cities. And by the way, this is the first time in the Bible here we find that the gospel was spreading outside of Jerusalem. And as Jesus said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. This is all becoming true now because now from surrounding cities, the rumor was, hey, there's some really crazy things going on in Jerusalem right now. And so they began to bring their sick out there for God to heal them. Bringing their sick and those who were tormented by unclean spirits and they were mostly healed. No, it says they were all healed. Why is that? Because God's a complete God. That's the way God works. Now, something we look at this, the shadow of Peter. We talked about this last week. There are magic shadows. No, we didn't talk about that. But the shadow was a point of contact for people who did not know who Jesus was. Now, again, the, the hem of Jesus's garment, was there anything magic about Jesus' clothes? When the woman who had an issue of blood spent all of her livelihood on doctors and for all that, she was none the better. And, and it says that, that she thought in herself, if I could only touch the hem of the garment, I'd be healed. And so she touched his garment. And Jesus sat and said, who touched me? And the disciples said, God, are, Jesus, are you kidding? Here, there's everybody pushing and shoving through the narrow streets of Jerusalem. They were pushing. He goes, no, somebody touched me for a reason. And they stood, they stood back and here was the woman who had touched his garment. And he said, your faith has made you well. You see, there's nothing magic about a shadow. There's nothing magic about a a hem of a garment. And friends, honestly, there's nothing magic about you and me. But we are the point of contact for an unbelieving world. In other words, what they know of Jesus, where their faith becomes real, is what they see in us. And I believe if we ever lose track of that, we will become despondent, suicidal, and other things. This is why people, I believe, are suicidal today. And even in the church, there are people that are suicidal. Why? Because you need three things. We went over this before. Three things you need to live. A reason to live for, a faith to live by, and a self you can live with. If any one of those three are lacking in your life, you're going to be imbalanced in your Christian experience. You need a reason to live for. What lights your fire? What turns you on? What causes you to get out of bed in the morning? You need that. Jesus. You need a faith to live by. What is the creed in which you dictate in your life, this is the way I'm going to live? Now, people, all, everybody has this, but it's not necessarily true. Look at the way the world says to live. Oh man, the most more dope you can smoke, <laughs> you know, grab the gusto, grab another six pack, whatever. He with the most toys when he dies, when you know, all the stuff that's out there. But you need a real faith you can live by that comes from God. And then most of all, you need a self you can live with. 
You know, if you're not happy with you, if you're not at peace in your heart, nothing else is going to matter. And this is why I believe even in the church there is suicide. And really there's no reason for it because you have Jesus Christ, the hope of glory, living in you, who has given you a reason, a purpose to live, and a point of contact for the world. Never forget who you are in Christ. Because in Jesus, you are that which represents the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, to a lost and dying world. You're the point of contact. You're the shadow. You're the hem of the garment. And by the way, friends, we're clothed in his righteousness. I like that about God. There's no good thing dwells in the flesh, the Bible says. There's none righteous, no, not one. And when the devil comes to you and says, you're a low down, good for nothing bum, you know what? You're right. But I've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Remember, it's not something you generate. It's something God gave you. Oh, those gifts from God are so good. You know, we all like to get a gift. Sometimes I get gifts on birthday and Christmas, and I don't even know what it is. I've said this before, but they say one of the biggest shopping days... At Christmas time is the 26th of December when everybody brings back everything that they can't use. You give a guy with a big beard like Scott, who's up here sharing, a bottle of aftershave, you wonder, did this person really know who this guy was, or is he trying to tell him something? (laughs) Now, when you stop to think about that, we take back what we don't need because we have no use for it. If you don't know you're a sinner... If you don't know you're naked, you have no need for his righteousness to clothe you. Okay, let's look at this. So they brought people from all over, surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing the sick, people who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Yes, there's unclean spirits in the world today. They're still alive and well. They were practiced there. We remember that uh, the man came to Jesus and said, my son is a lunatic. The old King James says, my son is a lunatic. He oftentimes throws himself in the water, in the fire. I ask your disciples to cast out the demons. They couldn't do it. And we remember Jesus finally cast the demons out. But later he asked him why. And they said, these come out only by prayer and by fasting. Some are very, very ferocious. Some are more benign, but they're all from the devil. And we have to remember that. He said, my son is a lunatic. Now, unfortunately, some of your new Bible versions you have to be careful of. Uh, NIV and some of the others. I'm not saying they're not a good Bible. I'm saying they take liberties they should not take. That word in the original language is the word moonstruck. The new translations use the word epileptic. My son is an epileptic. Oftentimes he throws himself in the water and into the fire. Friends, that is improper. The reason why is epilepsy is a neurological issue. Moonstruck is a demonic issue. Most incantations in the occult are done under full moons. And somehow this kid... This man's son, we don't know how old he was. I don't think he was probably eight years old. I think he's more like probably 18, 20 years old. Went out, got himself into some occultic thing, got himself possessed. Demon activity was prevalent 
during the time of Jesus and before because of the false god worship that was all around them. And they were in a very pantheistic society, worshiping a lot of different gods. This was one of the reasons why God told uh, the children of Israel to eradicate these, these foreign uh, uh, groups of people because they had a lot of different gods. Well, and of course they didn't. Well, again, as we, we find this, demon activity was around then. Friends, I believe it's around today. And as America moves farther and farther away from God, I believe as they dabble more and more in drugs, breaking down that natural barrier, that God gives every human being against demonic spirits through alcohol, Ouija boards, the occult, all those kinds of things, I believe a person then can be taken over by demonic forces. Remember, God is alive on the planet Earth to deliver people from their sins and from their past. Verse 17. Now, by the way, because it was spreading outside of Jerusalem, it had become very, very aware to the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of the day, that they thought they got rid of Jesus. This thing about God and Jesus would all be over with. And now they find it continuing to fester. They had already arrested Peter and John once when the man who was by the temple, the gate beautiful, they said, silver and gold have we none, but what we have will give you in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. The man leaps to his feet and the, everybody's amazed about this. They immediately were, the, the, John and, and, and Peter were immediately arrested and they were brought in. They were charged by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Don't speak of this Jesus anymore. And they said, well, we're going to do what God says, not what you say. And they let them go. Well, now, verse 17. Then the high priest rose up, all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. Now, it's sad. It doesn't say, and they were filled with the Spirit. No, they were filled with indignation, which is really just basically jealousy. They were filled, but they weren't filled with the Spirit. And by the way, I find that a lot of times, even you as a Christian will experience indignation from religious people because you are a demonstration of the power of God. Now, a lot of people want to believe they're religious. Well, I'm a religious person. Uh, You know, I'm a humanitarian. I wax my dog regularly. I help blind cats across the street. I'm a humanitarian. And when you say, well, listen, all your righteousness is filthy rags, they don't want to hear that. Because remember, righteousness generated by ourselves is to promote ourselves and to cause us to have an ego. Well, just think, when you donate, how good you're going to feel about yourself. Have you saw that one on TV? When you donate to the Blind Cat Society... You will feel good about yourself. So really, I'm not doing a charitable deed for God. I'm doing it so I'll feel Mr. Shiny Buttons. Look how good I am. I donate to the Blind Cat Society. Ooh. Well, you think about that for a minute. What strokes your ego? What makes you what you are? Now, now, friends, this again, this is where true Christianity comes in. Because one of the things... And principally, what it is, when we come to Christ, when we become a Christian, we cease to define life our way. 
we define it God's way. That's what we repent from. So again, when we go back to the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not have any other gods before me, you shall not make graven images. What are those two verses, those two commandments talking about? Building a God in our likeness. What I want my God to be. I like that thing that Greg Laurie says. He says, we have our iPods and we have our iPhones and then we have our iGods. Well, the problem is, is that God is not defined by me or the world. God is God. But the problem is that we find today in the world is that people want a God in their liking. And so no longer Christ that lives, but their God lives. We want it the other way around. No longer I, Paul says, live, but Christ who lives within me. So he says, they were filled with indignation. They were angry when they saw the power of God in the disciples and they knew they didn't have it. Oh, listen, friends, spiritual jealousy is around today. And like I've shared this with you before, you know, planning and zoning, I'm ready. You know, the occult, I'm ready. But you know, when people call themselves Christians and have a form of godliness, but they're playing on the devil's playground, I don't know how to fight that. That sometimes is very difficult because you think the very people that should be on your side are not. So he says, notice, they lay their hands on the apostles and put them in common prison. Now notice a couple of things here. Number one, initially going back a chapter or so, we find it was Peter and John. But notice here, we don't know how many there was because it says, and they laid the hands on the apostles. So they may have had almost all of them there. They may have had all 12 of them there that they laid hands on and put them, plural, in common prison. But at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go stand in the temple and speak to the people the words of this life. Again, you'd be that point of contact for a lost and dying world. Well, notice it says an angel came. Now, I don't know how this works. I really don't. The Bible says, be careful to entertain strangers, for thereby some of you have entertained angels. I don't know whether this guy came through the hall, waved at the security guards there in the prison, said, I'm taking these prisoners, open the door, and out they went. I don't know how they got out, but God divinely delivered them. Now, friends, we find this all the way through the New Testament. God divinely delivering his people from calamity, prison, unreasonable people. But we have to remember something else. God does not always do that. And there's many instances, Paul lists them. He says, he, when he gives his credentials for him being an apostle of Jesus, where he gives his credentials for him being a, a true minister of God, he doesn't go, and I have this PhD from this organization, and I have this diploma here. No, he says, I was shipwrecked day and night in the deep, beaten with rods. He just goes right down the line of all the the hard things he went through to prove what he was. Friends, we don't know our character until we go through trials. Now remember, people say, well, if God loves me, why am I going through this trial? Do you know God, I believe, endeavors to show us who we are through the trial? 
And, and, and you say, well, I, I don't like that. T- teach us something else. <laughs> but here's something you got to remember. Again, let's put it in, in where we live every day. The Bible says, a friend loveth at all times. Okay? You will never know who your friends are until you go through the valley of the shadow of death. You won't know. I call them fair weather friends. And for you, the guys that are in high school and girls that are in high school, listen, when I had a car and I had gas, I was everybody's friend in high school. And then mom and daddy take the T-bird away. And now all of a sudden you don't have a car because you made somebody mad. You made your parents mad or whatever. You don't have a car anymore. Hey, your phone ain't ringing off the, hey man, come over and pick me up. Let's go out to the, you know, whatever. Yeah, fair weather friends. You will never know who your friends are until you go through a personal trial. A friend walks in when everybody else walks out. And you won't know that till everybody else walks out. And as cutting and as hard as it is, you will not know until you go through that trial. But what does the trial produce? Now remember, God just doesn't roast us so he goes, ha ha! I cooked another one. No, God doesn't do that. He does it for a reason. He shows us in the trial to reveal something that would not be shown any other way. And what that means is this. You'll not know who your friends are until you go through a trial. You'll never realize how big your God is until you have nothing else. I want a convenient God. I want a God, no no graven images, no other gods before me, but I don't like that. By human nature, I want to have a God my way. You know, I I shared this before, but as I really look back on it, how ridiculous the bumper sticker was. Back in the uh, late 60s, early 70s, there was a lot of different Jesus bumper stickers and different things like that. In fact, when I went to Calvary Costa Mesa one time, in the tent, uh, people were coming from all over, and there was a Volkswagen van. And the whole back door, because those things were notorious for rusting out, the whole back door was a piece of plywood, and the guy didn't have any money, I guess, to paint the plywood, and it was just covered with Jesus bumper stickers. The whole back of the car was bumper stickers. And I remember one that said, Jesus is my co-pilot. Oh, uh, yeah, that's a pretty good idea, yeah. The more I thought about it, the more I realized that's wrong. Listen, I'm to get in the back seat. He's the one that better be driving. I don't want to be saying, oh, Jesus, you're driving, but here, let me help. You ever do that when you're going to California? And, and who's driving is trying to get, uh, open their, their bag of twisty doos or whatever it is that they want to eat. And, and they're trying to open it. Oh, let me hold this for you. I don't want to be a co-pilot. I want to get in the back seat, but you know what happens when you're in the back seat? You're being chauffeured. I like that. You see, God knows where he's going. I don't always know where I'm going, but he does, and we trust him for these things. And so he says, go stand in the temple and speak to the people. Same commission as before. Though trials come, trials go, the call of God will remain constant in your life. Now, I always want to go to God for fresh vision, fresh insight in how to do that. But the thing is, 
the call remains the same. Go stand at the temple, speak to the people the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those who were with him came and called the council together with all the elders and the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought out. But when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely, guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, there was no one inside. Now, when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. By the way, we know what the outcome is. We have a sure word of prophecy from the word of God. The spirit of God is prophecy, and we know what the outcome is. The world doesn't. Right now, you know where this world is headed. You know it's headed for a one world order, a one world monetary system. The end of the United States is imminent. We know that. It's going to collapse. We know where it's going. The world doesn't. They walk in darkness. So remember that. You have the keys of the kingdom, okay? So he says, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely, but there was no one inside. Now, when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. Then one came and told them, saying, Look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. I can just see them go, ay, 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 ay. We put them in prison to shut them up. Then somehow they get out of jail and they go right back. They didn't run. They didn't hightail it out of town. They went right back doing what God had called them to do. Man, I'll tell you, that dynamo of the Holy Spirit, that generator that keeps them going, that's what you need. And by the way, if you're a Christian and you've not been filled with the Holy Spirit, Maybe you've been been scared to be filled with the Holy Spirit because you thought, well, uh, I don't know, Mike, those lights are pretty high. I don't know if I can jump that high and swing on them. Again, attributing things to the Holy Spirit that he doesn't do. But rather what God does do is he puts in you that generator that keeps us going. Because by nature, friends, that ain't me. You know, when the Bible says... If you look at that, chapter 12, chapter 14, book of 1 Corinthians, the love chapter is right in between. Do you know why it's there? Because the real mark, I believe, of the Holy Spirit is not how high you jump or how fast you run, it's how straight you walk. And when we look at this, we realize a couple of things. The Holy Spirit works in us to be those disciples that Jesus called us to be. By nature, we are not that. Do you realize by nature, by nature, if you want to see somebody that was an evangelist in the Bible that did not have the Holy Spirit, there is an illustration. It's called the book of Jonah. There Jonah was told to go evangelize to the city of Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire, probably one of the most wicked countries that ever existed. And he was told to go there. He comes through the city after getting ralphed out on the beach by the whale. And his message wasn't, Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. His message was, 40 days and you're fried. Mommy, there's a blue man, a green man out in the street screaming, he's bald. 
I imagine the gastric juices probably ate all the hair off of him and probably turned him that uh, puny face, you know, what happens when you're in water for a long time. Well, he was in gastric juices. He was mad. He goes up on the hill and waits for God to fry the city. That is the nature of us by nature. God puts into us a different nature. And first of all, a greater love for God and a greater love for a lost world to be that point of contact. You see, by nature, somebody say, well, that person isn't a Christian. They're rotten, corrupt. They're going to go to hell. You go, good, you need that. That's not Jesus. Jesus says that person can be changed. That person can be born again. By nature, I don't care. But by Christ, the dynamo, the message worth dying for, that love for the lost, that love for God, Jesus, who has given us that love, Paul says, that greater love, well, Jesus said, greater love have no man than he lay his life down for a friend. By the way, that, in, that very verse implies some type of conflict that you would have to lay your life down. But when we stop and realize how powerful God is in our world today, what he wants to do. So the captain went, the officers brought them without violence, for they feared the people lest they would be stoned. They were afraid what they would do to the apostles, or what they might do. They didn't fear God, but they feared men. Well, what it says here. They said, didn't we strictly command you that you should not teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intending to bring this man's blood upon us. Oh, you've always got to spiritualize your wickedness, don't you? You're going to bring this man's blood upon us. Speaking of Jesus Christ, what he did. Oh, listen, friends, I've shared this so many times, but it's so important to remember. If you're going to do something really evil and wicked as a Christian, you got to learn how to make it and wrap it in spiritual words. Oh, yeah, you do. That's what we're good at. As an example, and I, I love this. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's getting ready to die. He's taught him for three years. Love your neighbor. Be good to those. He sends him into the town opposite them to go get a motel room. They come back, and James and John, sons of thunder, Zebedee, they come back, and they say, no one would give us a room at the Motel 6. Well, no one would give us a room. And if they would have just shut up right there, everything would have been okay. But no. Then they said to Jesus, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and consume them? Because they couldn't get a motel room? I can just see Jesus going, haven't you been listening? Don't you get it? You're supposed to love your neighbors, even if they don't give you a motel room, and you want to call fire down from heaven and burn them up. But you know, if you're going to say something like that, that's really wicked... Now, learn the trick of the devil. you got to wrap it in spirituality. And they said, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and consume them like Elijah did? Oh, that makes it all spiritual now. 
I can be as wicked as I want to be. I just got to put a Christian veneer on it to make it sound good. You say, well, we don't do things like that. No, we don't. We're a lot better than they are. We have more practice. You're in a circle praying. Oh, Lord, we pray for Sister Susie. Oh, Lord, we love Sister Susie. And even though she's pregnant, no one knows. We just want you to deal with her according to your righteousness. And everybody's going gossip praying. You you see, love is what God generates in us. Because the world wants to beat the love out of you. And that love generator that's inside of us, a reason to live for, a message that we have to bring to a lost world is so important. We'll close with this. It says, Did not we strictly command you not to teach in his name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. And um, I look at this, intending to bring this man's blood upon us. You fill this city with your doctrine. Now think about that for a minute. You may not know how effective you are concerning Jesus, but sometimes in the daily news of the world will tell you. Listen, this didn't say, the disciples didn't say, and we have filled the city with our doctrine. No, they, the, the, the opposition said, you are a success. Listen, the world knows what you do for him. And so we want to remember when we're under persecution, always remember it's because you're that point of contact. People see Jesus in you. It changes their life. This morning, if you spent your life defining life your way, that's what we repent from. I'm going to be my own man. I'm a self-made man. I'm going to do it my way. And you do it your way only to find you gain the whole world, lose your own soul. What has it profited you? I want to encourage you today to consider Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, to give you a reason to live for, a faith to live by, and a self you can live with. This morning, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, we're going to pray, and you can ask Christ into your life. And God will change you. He'll put that dynamo in you. He'll give you that energy that you don't have, and by nature none of us have, for a lost and dying world. And instead we can say, as a matter of fact, buddy, Jesus loves you. And that's what God does. This morning, if you've never prayed, you know you need to repent. You don't want another 10 years like you just had. You don't want another month like you just had. It's time to change. We're going to pray right now. You can invite Jesus into your life, the very one that died on the cross, that your sins would be forgiven, and that you can spend eternity with God and a life worth living here. We're going to pray right now. If you need to accept Christ, let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I invite you into my life today. I am sorry of the way that I have lived my life. And I repent. So from this day forward, I commit my life into your hands. I ask you to make me the best I can be for you. I ask you to fill me now with your Holy Spirit. Empower me, God to do great and wonderful things for your kingdom.
please now write my name in your book of life. I believe you died on the cross for me and you, your blood covered my sins. And so now live in me as you rose from the dead. I commit my life now into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen.